Hi and welcome to church. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny and it's just a joy to have you connecting. So welcome for wherever you're joining from and whether this is your first time joining us at church or whether this is a regular experience for you, great to have you connecting. In a moment or two we're going to turn to the Bible. In fact we're kicking off a new series today in Matthew's Gospel which is one of those great accounts of the life of Jesus. And Matthew's Gospel to be honest is going to take us probably several years to get through but we're not going to do it all at once. The first section we're going to give a mini-series. We're going to call it Follow, and uh, we're going to be focusing on the theme of discipleship. So let's pray and ask that God will speak to you and to me as we turn to the Bible. Father, thank you that you're with us just now. Thank you, God, you love each and every person connecting, and I pray for your presence with them just now as they listen. Wherever they're listening from, I pray you'd meet with them. I ask God you'd help us to hear your voice as we read the Bible, which is your inspired word. Help me to speak and help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, there was a, let me start with a story. There was a a group of four Glaswegians, and they died and arrived at the pearly gates of heaven. And uh, there was St. Peter, and Peter saw the Glaswegians, and he said, wow, Glaswegians, wait here. And he disappeared off to get God, and he said, God, there are four Glaswegians at the pearly gates. What do we do? And God says, hey, the door is open. Anyone is able to come. And Peter said, okay, thanks, God. And he ran back to the pearly gates. And then he freaked out and ran back to God and said, God, they're gone. They're gone. And God said, what? The the Glaswegians? And Peter said, no, the pearly gates. They've nicked the pearly gates. Ah, I'm just kidding you. I'm originally from Glasgow. I'm just having a laugh. But, the, you know, the great news is, and my title, if you want a title today, is that anyone can follow. The door is open. It, the possibility is now made open to all humanity to come into a living relationship and a journey with God. So I'm going to start this message, I guess in a way, not just starting a message, but starting a series. Because I want to introduce you to this person, Matthew who's writing Matthew's Gospel. Interestingly, Matthew doesn't refer to himself in Matthew's Gospel. So to understand about Matthew, you've got to read from a different Gospel. So we're going to go to Mark, Mark chapter 2, to read about Matthew. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. Let's go. So Mark chapter 2, and here's the first mention of Matthew in the Bible. It says in, um, in the verses, it says in verse 14, As he, that's Jesus, walked along, he saw Levi, that's Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Tax collector's booth. Now, at the time in Palestine, 70% of people lived in dire poverty. The Romans, who were the oppressing army, levied heavy taxes on the Jewish people. And the Jews utterly resented the very presence of the Romans. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, and therefore he was hated by his own people. There were so many reasons why Jews hated Jewish tax collectors. First of all, they were Jewish people taking money on behalf of the Romans from their own people. Oh, that that stirred so much animosity from the Jewish people. Secondly, they would add their own fee on top of the taxes. They, They could just kind of just pick a number and they would add their own fee on top of the taxes and so they were, they were getting rich at the expense of very poor people, the Jewish people. So again, that's another reason why they were hated. And then finally, they, were, they, they associated with the, the, the most corrupt characters. 
often very sensual activities and very sinful people they would hang out with. And as far as the Jews were concerned, tax collectors who were Jews were no longer Jews. So that's the context. Matthew's one of them. What did Jesus say to a tax collector? Listen to what Jesus said. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. The very first words recorded that Matthew heard Jesus speak to him was, follow me. Now, I would guess that Matthew had been a fan of Jesus for probably months, if not a few years. I mean, he had heard the stories. He maybe even had been part of the crowd and saw the miracles. He probably heard him say some things that he thought, wow, he was most likely a fan of Jesus. But it wasn't until here that he was a follower of Jesus. He had probably assumed that if Jesus was going to say anything to him, a tax collector, it wouldn't be positive. (laughs) He was a fan of Jesus at a distance, but he would probably have assumed that Jesus would want nothing to do with someone like him because no Jew wanted anything to do with someone like him. And yet, Jesus invited him to follow. Isn't that beautiful? And you might assume today that Jesus would want nothing to do with you. But the great news for you is that Jesus invites you to follow. Being a fan doesn't change your life. But only when he became a follower, his life was transformed. And notice what it says. Levi got up and followed him. In other words, he left his tax collecting booth. Everything was just left. He got up, walked away from it, and started to follow. Because you can't start following Jesus unless you start unfollowing the sinful life you've been living. And that's the challenge for us all. We're going to follow Jesus. We're leaving the old life. And we're picking up the new life following Jesus. And Matthew was giving up a very lucrative career and he was giving up many sensual pleasures, and in order to give that up, so that in order that he could have Jesus. I remember when I was in my teenage years, I, I'd grown up in a church environment, I'd heard the stories about Jesus, and I heard these stories about Jesus calling tax collectors or fishermen, saying, follow me, and they just left everything and followed Jesus. And I remember it gave me a kind of an inbuilt knowing that to follow Jesus would take everything. I just knew that. And I remember for years I didn't give God anything because I knew that if I was going to give him something, it would have to be everything. And I held off and I held off and held off until in my mid-teens I remember one night making a decision and it was the greatest decision of my life, but it was a big decision. And it was the decision that Jesus, okay, I give you it all. And I committed myself fully to God. And that's what Matthew did and that's what God invites you to do. The greatest decision you will ever make. It goes on in the verse and it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Isn't this interesting? So who's Jesus hanging out with? Well, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, was hanging out with the most unlikely characters, the sinners and the tax collectors, the notorious people of society, the rejects. And hey, we know who they are today. Jesus would be hanging out with them. You see, Jesus understood that holiness was not separation from sinners, but separation from sin. He spends time with drunkards, but never got drunk. Spends time with corrupt tax officials, but never was dubious in his dealings. He hung out with prostitutes, and yet never compromised his moral integrity. Jesus didn't expect people 
to jump into his world. Rather, he jumped into their world. That's Jesus. And by the way, he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. So Matthew, what did he do when Matthew, he was blown away. Wow, I thought Jesus was going to reject me. Everyone else has rejected me. I thought Jesus was going to reject me. But instead, Jesus said, Matthew, I've chosen you. Follow me. And out of gratitude for that acceptance they experienced, what does he do? What's the first thing Matthew does? Well, it's obvious. He tells everyone. He tells his mates. You've got to come find Jesus. Jesus is amazing. I've ha- he's coming over to my house for a meal tonight. Come and join me. The first thing Matthew does when he's been a recipient of grace was tell others about it. And I want to encourage followers of Jesus watching today. You follow Jesus, but hey, I don't know if you've told anyone about it. Have you told anyone about your faith? You need to start sharing your faith. If it's real for you, then why are you keeping it to yourself? This is free. It's for everyone. So I want to encourage us, and this is what I want us to do over these next few weeks. I want us all to go a little bit more public with our faith. And here's how I'm going to suggest we do it, right? Because we're all in kind of lockdown. So how do we do it in lockdown? Well, here's how. I want us all to get our phones out, and I want us to record a 60-second, no longer than 60 seconds, uh, I Follow Jesus film clip. Just tell people over a film clip, just hold your phone up and record, here's why I follow Jesus. Here's the difference that Jesus has made in my life. Record your clip and then share your clip on WhatsApp, email it to people, put it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you choose. Hashtag, I follow Jesus. Let's go public with our faith. Matthew went public with his faith. And then it goes on and it says this, here we come, the teachers of the law. And if this is a panto, this is where everyone would go, boo. Okay, right, ready? When the teachers of the law, boo. Okay, there we go. Uh, and the Pharisees were eating, so saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Isn't that interesting? Jesus gives us an insight into his heart. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And by the way, there is no one righteous other than Jesus. That was a kind of tongue-in-cheek comment from Jesus. Because there is no one righteous. There is no one righteous. All are sinners. But not all have acknowledged that they're sinners. And that's the point Jesus is making. He's saying, I haven't come come to call the righteous like you Pharisees. They weren't righteous at all. But they weren't acknowledging that they were sinners. And therefore, Jesus couldn't help them. Because you know what it's like when you're at the doctors. The doctors can't help someone who doesn't acknowledge they've got a problem and need help in the first place. Your first step in following Jesus is, I have a problem. I'm a sinner. And when you acknowledge that, great. Now God's got something to work with. He comes to call people just like you, people who acknowledge that they're sinners. Okay, so that's, that's me introduced Matthew to you. Now... Having introduced Matthew, bear in mind he was a tax collector, he was a rejected person, he hung out with rejected people, and Jesus took an interest in him. Now, bearing that in mind, how do you think Matthew's going to introduce Jesus to the world? Okay, let's see. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And as we start reading this, bear in mind that Matthew's living in a patriarchal society where the male, so we're going to see the family tree of Jesus here. And you can imagine the, the family tree, the emphasis is the male family line. 
and yet Matthew deliberately does something that's completely countercultural. He names woman in the family tree of Jesus. And so I want you to look out for the woman that he mentions in the family tree of Jesus, and he does it deliberately. All right, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Okay, you're going to have to pray for me as I read these verses. There are lots of names. Ready? Here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Okay, there's the woman number one. Perez was the father of Hezron and Hen, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abnimadab, and Nimadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There's another woman. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After that, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abuhud. Abuhud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliza. Eliza, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. And you could give me a massive round of applause for getting through all those names. Who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon. And 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. It's almost as if it was perfectly mapped out. As if God was out working a plan. Okay, that's the verses and I'm going to make two points to you, because I think Matthew is making two points. And let me tell you what the two points are, and then we'll dig into each of them. The first point is this. Anyone can follow. And the second point is this. There is a global plan that God is outworking in this period and in our times. Okay, point number one. Anyone can follow. And you see the ladies that Matthew deliberately drew our attention to in those verses. Okay? What was unique about them? Well, they were pretty inscrupulous ladies. They were, they were women who were controversial, just like Matthew was controversial himself. Let me look at them. So, verse 3, Matthew 1, verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, you can go back in your Old Testament and the Bible to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and chapter 38, you'll see the story. Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute. And her father-in-law came along not knowing it was his daughter-in-law, and he had sex with her. And she fell pregnant, and Perez and Zerah were brought into the world. Okay, I mean, that kind of sounds like an episode of the Jeremy Kyle show, okay? But that's in the Bible. 
And that's part of the family tree of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Say with me, anyone can follow. Say it again. Anyone can follow. God's saying that the door is wide open. He's also saying that God can take the messes we make of life and redeem them. Here you have a desperate lady and a dodgy father-in-law, but you have a great God who turns messes around. God does that. I remember hearing a story of a, there was a small pub in the highlands of Scotland, and a bunch of fishermen had been out fishing for salmon all day long. And they were all discussing the fish that they caught. And one guy was describing the one that got away, and he put his hands out like that. And as he did that, he knocked the waitress who was walking past them at the time. And she, an ale, a dark ale, was knocked off her tray. It landed on the ground and splashed up against the white wall in the pub. And it created a huge stain, so she quickly got down and got a napkin out, and she started scrubbing the wall. But unfortunately, the stain was permanent, and there was a dark, messy stain on a brown ale stain on the whitewashed wall. But at that point, a man who had been sitting silently watching the situation stood up, came across the wall, took a crayon out of his pocket, and started sketching around the mess on the wall. And surely, but slowly but surely, an amazing picture emerged of the head of a stag. And the man was none other than the famous uh, painter of, British painter of animals, Sir Edwin Landseer. And he took what someone had made a mess of and made it into a masterpiece. And God could do that with our messes. How do you get him to do that? Well, you turn to him in your mess. Don't run from God in your mess. Run to God. And he is the master at making masterpieces out of messes. That's Tamar. And then the other woman he mentioned was in verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, it kind of goes from bad to worse. You look in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 2, you discover that spies were sent to Jericho before Jericho was attacked. And Rahab was a professional Gentile prostitute working in the city of Jericho. And when the spies, the, the Jewish spies arrived, she something stirred in her heart, and it was a stirring of faith. And she protected them. And they went safely on their way because she provided them with protection. It's incredible. And they said to her, because you've shown kindness to us, when the attack happens, your life will be spared. What we ask you to do is hang. And it says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 21, she tied a scarlet cord in her window. And that's the sign they told her. Have a scarlet cord in your window and your house will be preserved. And what was in her heart that would make her preserve these slaves? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, By faith, Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed because she welcomed the spies. It was a response of faith that she had. She believed that God was with these people and that she had to provide protection for these people. It's incredible. Why the scarlet cord? Well, when eventually Jericho was destroyed... The whole wall fell down by a miracle of God, but one section was less remaining. And actually, if you go to the archaeological ruins of Jericho today, indeed, the only section that there is only one section left remaining, and that's exactly where Rahab had her house. God preserved her life, and the red cord is symbolic, pointing towards a sacrifice that was to come Jesus Christ. When we trust by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, our lives. Are preserved. Our lives are saved. Say amen if you agree. 
That's good news. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Wow. Say anyone can follow. Anyone can follow. To all who believe, righteousness is given through faith. And she married, she was spared through that attack, and she married uh, Salmon, who many suspect was one of the spies. And she gave birth to someone who was in the family line of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Who gets in the family line of Jesus? Anyone can follow. The next person is Ruth, verse 5. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a a Moabitess, and they were a despised race. And she was widowed, and she was childless. But she made a decision in a moment of famine and in a moment of crisis. She made a decision, and it's recorded for us in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. And her decision was to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. She made a choice to follow God. Ruth, this lady who everything had fallen apart in her life, but she made a choice. And she arrived in Bethlehem following that choice. She fell in love with a man, and she married Boaz. And together, she gave birth to Obed, who became in the family line of Jesus. You see, decisions change everything. She made a decision, your God will be my God. And that's the decision, that that there is the decision that changes everything in our lives. You see, you want to know what your future looks like? Look at the decisions you're making today. And the greatest decision is to make God your God, to trust in Jesus. Make that decision today if you haven't already. And then in verse 6, we were introduced to someone, someone else. It says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Doesn't even name her. It's so scandalous. Her name was Bathsheba. And David, who was the great king of Israel, on one night, couldn't sleep, went up on his rooftop, looked out over the hills, looked out over the the rooftops of Jerusalem, and there on a neighboring rooftop was a lady having a bath. Ironically, her name was Bathsheba. I don't think there's a link there, but it's an ironic link. Anyway, he saw this lady, Bathsheba, having a bath, and he just, he, he lusted. And he used his royal power just to organize that she would come and be with him. And he had an affair with her. And then to cover his tracks, he organized the death of her husband, Uriah. And then he took Bathsheba to be his own wife. It was totally corrupt. And this was a good guy. David was a good guy. And yet he's messing up big style. Incredible. You see, I get it. You've been a sinner, then you become a saint. Wow, great story. But what about if you've been a sinner, then you become a saint, but then you end up being a sinner again? We don't cheer that story, and yet that's often, and maybe that's your story. It was David's story. It's been all of our stories at points. But don't think for a moment that God rejects you. You see, you might think God rejects me, but that's not how God feels about you. God is an amazing God of grace, and he welcomes you back. And David turned back to God, and you can turn back to God, and I can turn back to God, and he will receive us. Psalm 103, David wrote and said in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that amazing? Solomon was born out of an adulterous affair, 
and Solomon became the next king, wrote the book of Proverbs, wrote the Song of Solomon, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. God takes the messes and turns it around as we turn to him. Things can turn out well as you turn them over to God. Max Lucado, in his book, In the Grip of Grace, he wrote and said this, You know what disturbs me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? What disturbs me most was not his acts, although they were disgusting. Dahmer was convicted of 17 murders from 1978 to 1991. Eleven corpses were found in his apartment. He cut off arms and ate body parts. My thesaurus has 204 synonyms for vile, but each one falls short of describing a man who kept skulls in his refrigerator and hoarded a human heart. He redefined the boundary of brutality. The Milwaukee monster dangled from the lowest rung of human conduct and then dropped. But that's not what troubles me most. Can I tell you what troubles me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? It's not his trial. As disturbing as it was, with those pictures of him sitting serenely in court, face frozen, motionless, no sign of remorse, no hint of regret. Remember his steely eyes and his impassive face. But I don't speak of him because of his trial. There's another reason. Can I tell you what really troubles me about Jeff Dahmer? It's not his punishment. Although life without parole is hardly an exchange for his actions. How many years would satisfy justice? A lifetime in jail for every life he took? But that's another matter. That's not what troubles me about Jeffrey Dahmer. May I tell you what does? His conversion. Months after, sorry, months before an inmate murdered him, Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian, became a follower of Jesus. He repented of his sins. He was sorry for what he did, profoundly sorry. He said he'd put his faith in Jesus. He was baptized and he started life new with God. Began reading the Bible and attending chapel. Sins washed, soul cleansed, past forgiven. That's what troubles me. It shouldn't, but it does. Grace for a cannibal. And the amazing thing that Matthew introduces him to us to is that Jesus was born in a family line of people that most people would have rejected. But Jesus was very happy to be associated with them in his birth and in his life. People like Matthew and the rejects of society, Jesus loved hanging out with them. And in his death, he was crucified between two criminals. And now that he's risen and ascended to the throne, he welcomes sinners like us to be his followers. Anyone can follow And the second thing Matthew is telling us is this. There's a global plan. (laughs) There is a global plan. God is up to something and and it's still current today. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Jesus, well, Jesus' name means God our Savior. Jesus literally is God our Savior. But he's also a human being. He's the son of David and he's the son of Abraham. He had a family tree like you and I do. He was fully human and fully God. Well, he's the son of David. 
David, that great king in the Old Testament, God had spoken to him and told him that one of your offspring is going to have a huge impact on earth, prophesying about the coming of Jesus. Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. God spoke prophetically to David that he would have a son who would have an eternal kingdom. And David did have Solomon, a son, who built a temple in Jerusalem. But it wasn't an eternal kingdom. He had many generations of kings until, as we saw in the family tree, Jesus, born in the physical family line of David became the ultimate king. And the ultimate house Jesus built is called the church. And we're part of it as believers. And he, is, he has, and he always will have, an everlasting kingdom. Fully man, yes, and fully God. King of kings, Lord of lords. And he, David, Jesus is also the son of Abraham. And God spoke prophetically to Abraham about Jesus. He says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, The Lord said to Abraham, Go to your country, to your people, and to your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God promised Abraham that even before he had a child, even when his wife was barren and they were unable to have children, God promised him offspring. And by a miracle, Isaac was born. And the story unfolds. An entire nation of people through Isaac were produced. And they are the people of Israel. And through that people, blessing was going to come to the whole world. But how was that? Well, the answer is in one offspring in particular. A Jewish man who grew up as a carpenter. His name is Jesus Christ. It's through that offspring of Abraham that now blessing has come to the entire world. And there's Matthew this sinner, this tax collector, this rejected individual who Jesus, he thought Jesus would want nothing to do with him and yet Jesus called him to follow him. And now Matthew's saying, wow, and God's got a great purpose and it's going to bring blessing to the ends of the earth. And in fact, we've looked at the first verses Matthew starts his gospel with. As you go to the very end of Matthew's gospel, we hear the last things Matthew writes and this is what he says. Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, he's not just the king, he's the king of kings. He's not just the king of earth, he's the king of heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, which means followers of all nations. Matthew, he was a changed man. He was totally transformed following Jesus. And he then went on, after Jesus' ministry had finished, he went on to pick up the baton and do what Jesus had said. And he spent the rest of his life impacting the world in the name of the one who had impacted him. He went from being a tax collector, a despised tax collector, to becoming an author of one of the the world's all-time bestseller, one of the Gospels, Matthew's Gospel. He went on to advance the kingdom and plant churches and help people become followers of Jesus. I'm sure Matthew took a lot of time with sinners and hung out with people who were rejects because that had been his story. 
and how many multitudes would have come to know Jesus through Matthew's witness. And Matthew made a difference. And you know, in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, it documents how Matthew died. And it says this, the scene of his labors were in Parthia, that's Iran, and in Ethiopia. So Matthew had taken the message about Jesus to as far as Iran and as far as Ethiopia, in which latter country he suffered martyrdom, being slain with a halberd in the city of Nadaba in AD 60. As a spear with an axe head, he was killed. What would inspire someone to live their entire life and even die for the truth? And the answer is this when you understand that you're unconditionally accepted by God it will change you and it will inspire you to become not just a follower of Jesus but someone who just wants to get others to also follow Jesus okay let's respond, let's pray God thank you so much that just like you walked past Matthew at that tax booth 2000 years ago and you said to him follow me Thank you, Lord, you don't walk past us. Thank you, you don't look past us. You don't reject us like people have, or we've even rejected ourselves. You don't do that. Instead, even though we might have expected you to reject us, instead you invite us to go on the greatest adventure of our lives, following Jesus. So God, I pray, give courage to those watching and to myself. Give us courage to be authentic followers of Jesus. God, help us to be like Matthew, literally willing just to lay aside the old life and to follow you, Jesus. God, for for believers who have ended up in a mess, like some of the people in your family tree, Lord, I pray, God, as we would turn our mess to you, that you'd make masterpieces of our mess. That, God, we we, we imperfectly follow God. And sometimes we've been sinners, then we become saints, then we become sinners again. And I pray, God, have mercy on us. And we thank you so much for the amazing grace that continues to forgive. Give us courage to follow you, to pick up and follow again in Jesus' name. Now, why not just make a commitment just now? If you're already a follower of Jesus, right now in God's presence, make a fresh commitment to following him today, this week, this month, this year, this life. Come on, make that fresh commitment just now. While people are praying that and making that commitment, maybe you're joining us today and you've never yet made a decision to follow Jesus. Well, right now, why not you make that decision? And if that's you today and you want to make that decision, then I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I invite you to pray this prayer with me. All right, let's just pray to God just now. If you're saying, Peter, I want to follow Jesus today, I want to become a follower of Jesus, then you pray this prayer with me just now. Dear Lord God, you pray after me. Dear Lord God, I thank you so much for your love for me. Jesus, thank you so much for being willing to die for sinners on the cross. And thank you on the third day you rose from the dead. I believe in you. I believe you're alive right now. And I'm asking you to come and live in my life. And I'm asking you to change me. And today, I say I'm going to become a follower of yours with your help. Jesus, be Lord of my life from now on. 
thank you so much for hearing my prayer. I commit myself to you now and forever. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, if you've made that decision today, that is the best decision you will ever make. And God has heard your prayer. Now, what you've just decided to do is to go on a journey. And in one sense, you've arrived. (laughs) He already accepts you. But this is a journey. And because it's a journey, we do it with others. And I encourage you, let us know that you've made that decision because we want to help you go forward. Click on the button that you request prayer or email us or get in touch with us to let us know you've made a decision because we want to help you. Our team want to help you grow in this faith. God bless you. Let's follow Jesus.